When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Thursday and welcome to the Football Social Daily. And with the international window now in full swing, we have received our own call-up here on the Football Social Daily team. Yes, Niall McCorn has received the call. He has received the call-up, but not from Gareth Southgate or Didier Deschamps, but from himself to sort out all that DIY that he's been putting off since New Year. So Nyla's off for this week, but never fear, I'm Fergal Brennan and I will be stepping in for midweek duty on today's podcast. And joining me, we have plenty of midweek experience. Two fellas who are breaking with the lockdown tradition and they actually know their Tuesdays from their Wednesdays and their Wednesdays from their Mondays and their Fridays from their whatever days. We have John Paul Hughes. John Paul, how's things? Absolutely fantastic, mate. How are you? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I hope you do know your Wednesdays from your Tuesdays and your Mondays from your Fridays. Uh, and we also have Callum Tyler. Callum, how's things? Good, not quite as fantastic as JP by the sounds of it, but pretty good nonetheless. <laughs> uh, that's just the international break, that's how it gets in. Uh, and with, inter- and uh, with the international break and international football underway, that's where we get ourselves started. Part one, as the long, long road to Qatar starts right here. And Southgate's England take on the might of San Marino later tonight. We're going to be previewing that game, as well as giving the guys a chance to look ahead to Scotland's big, big clash with Austria. And then we're also going to be taking a look back reviewing last night's action as Wales started their own campaign with defeat. They lost to the world's number one Belgium and the Republic of Ireland lost away in Serbia. And then in part two, it's back to the day job of sorts of the Premier League as UEFA are set to make a mental, mental U-turn and cancel FFP in the coming months. Absolutely ridiculous, but we're going to be getting stuck into that later on. And we'll also be looking at the breaking story overnight that 8,000 fans could potentially be in attendance for next month's EFL Cup final. Right, so a huge amount to get through. England, San Marino, fifth versus 210th in the F in the FIFA rankings. 210th, wow. Uh, and as upsets go, this one's pretty unlikely. Uh, even with two Scots and an Irishman on the podcast, we'll do our best. Um, but I 
I just do not think we can make any sort of a case, however ridiculous, uh, for them to be dancing in the streets of San Marino. JP, uh, are you going for an England walk over here? Could we potentially even see double figures? Just looking at some of the numbers in, in previous games, six matches between England and San Marino, and England have got a 37 to 1 aggregate score. Will they be dancing in the streets of San Marino tonight? Uh, no, they won't, but quite frankly, should uh, England. Uh, notch any fewer than five or six then I think uh, rather than dancing in the streets of San Marino uh, <laughs> the England squad in Gareth Southgate should be stripped naked and marched through the streets of London and flogged to death um, this is uh, <laughs> as big as mismatch as, as ridiculous as mismatches get um, you can kind of understand why there's been calls in the past for there almost to be a qualifier for qualifiers, so to speak. Um, but yet, we'll, I, I know we'll touch on <laughs> on fair play and all the rest of it, and equal opportunity later on when we come to financial fair play. But I, it, it's a bit silly, isn't it? You know, it's um, I, I, I can envision uh, many, many Premier League managers and players sitting uh, nervously, hoping nobody picks up any unnecessary injuries or comes to any, any harm tonight. And it should be a, an absolute walkover, and if it isn't, then uh, serious questions to be asked. Uh, Callum, when you look at this and when you look at fixtures, yes, it's a World Cup qualifier, it's an important game, it's a competitive game, but as JP says, the, the gap between the teams is, is so big that we look at this almost where we just focus on England. We don't we don't talk about San Marino and all the questions are going to be about the squad and, and what type of team Gareth Southgate puts out. Don't forget there's three games to come in the next seven days, Albania and Poland, which will be bigger tests for Southgate and his players follow um, the San Marino game tonight. So just looking at the squad and one of the big stories when Southgate announced it was the names that he left out. Liverpool pair Jordan Henderson and Trent Alexander. Arnold were both left out. Jack Grealish and James Madison, who've both picked up injuries in the last few weeks, were also left out. So despite the fact that it is only San Marino, Gareth Southgate will be looking at these three games as the last chance that he has to, to assess his squad and, and who will be in that final 23 for the for the European Championship European Championships this summer. And there's an opportunity for players, either due to lack of form for others, injuries or, or their own impressive form, um, to make a real case to be included in that. Jesse Lingard's back in business, Mason Mount is included, um, Calvin Phillips from Leeds. There's there's names that are in there. Ollie Watkins at Aston Villa, who'll be looking at mm. this and thinking, there's a chance for me here. Who's caught your eye in the squad that could potentially force their way into the 23 this summer? Well, like you said, it's it's obviously a squad that's been picked on on current form, which from an England point of view um, wasn't always the case. You know that was probably one of the big downfalls in previous tournaments, in previous tournament years, is that managers would sort of go with the same crowd um, and I think it's obviously these games are a little bit of a, of a gimme and a little bit of a chance to test people out but so close to the tournament I would be very encouraged by the fact that Gareth Southgate is, has clearly looked at who's playing really well in the league and, and picked them like you said Lingard stands out for me um, I think Luke Shaw and John Stones haven't really been as integral to an England setup as they probably will be this time around um, which obviously reflects their excellent form this season um, and then I know we're going to come to talk about it but the goalkeepers is an interesting situation and I was really pleased to see Sam Johnston um, of West Brom in there. I, I don't suppose he's likely to start the games, but he has been excellent in what has been a pretty rubbish West Brom team. Um, so this is this is his big chance. And if he starts against San Marino, it will feel like a big game for him. Um, obviously, we'll look at the goalkeeping situation in just a second with, with Jordan Pickford, JP. But going right the way through that team, Luke Shaw's back in, John Stones is back in. As, as Callum mentioned, they've been impressive for, for Man United and Man City this season. And there's other names that will be round and about. 
How close do you think at this stage, three months-ish uh, out from England's first game in the European Championships, how close do you think Southgate is to knowing his best eleven, based on the fact that he's got players in form that will be giving him a bit of a, a selection headache um, and the fact that it, he's going to make a decision on other players who might not be in the best form for their clubs, but time and again during his time as England manager have performed for England? It's a tough one, isn't it? I, 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 if, if he's anything like me, he's probably pretty far away from knowing he's, he's, uh, he's best 11. If this tournament was to start tomorrow um, or start next week, uh, I honestly don't know the England team that I would pick. Um, but you've also got the the, the, uh, the interesting conundrum. You know, the, 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 there's people like, like Jack Grealish and Jaden Sancho and all the rest of it as well. We know have picked up injuries and aren't there at the moment. But I've been in tremendous form. You've got Harvey Barnes and James Madison at Leicester and all these guys as well. So there's the abundance of talent is there um, getting the blend because that's you know the, the job of an international for me, the, the job of any manager but, but more so um, an international manager isn't necessarily picking the best players it's picking the best team um, and how does that squad work uh, what system is right for them um, and, 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 and basing that on the opposition you're going to face which is very very different in World Cup qualifiers versus what you'll face in the summer, um, so uh, it's it, it's a very 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 tough and complex task for Gareth Southgate. But let's face it, he's he's had plenty of time to sit and think about it. We all need to get on with our day jobs, so uh, this pops <laughs> into your head for every week. He's got nothing else to do, so I can uh, I can imagine him sitting there with the with, with the tactics board going back and forth because he could probably pick, you know, I, I, I don't exaggerate here, four or five different uh, formations and lineups for England that, that would. Uh, that would look really, really strong, but sometimes you only know uh, what's going to work when, when you put it best. And, and I also the omission of uh, Alexander Arnold and things that he's done there is, is is quite interesting because he's clearly sending a signal um, that uh, because we know that that uh, even though it's been some time, uh, Alexander Arnold's last couple of England performances have been pretty poor. Um, I know that Southgate has publicly stated that, that his form uh, for Liverpool has not been replicated in an England shot. Um, so he's definitely sending a message that no place is irrespective of how you're doing with your club uh, and, and how that club's performing or, or how you're going in, in, in club form and, and, and presenting an presenting opportunity to, uh, to a lot of these fresh faces. So um, I think he's probably quite a distance and I think the team tonight and the selection probably shows that, that he's quite a distance from knowing what he's, his if they had a big, uh, uh, if this tournament started next week, what that starting eleven would be, and I personally am miles from it as well. Um, JP mentioned there, Callum, that Gareth Southgate has had plenty of time to think about his selection in the middle of making banana bread or, or doing a bit of DIY <laughs> or whatever he's been getting up to. Maybe getting himself a new waistcoat. Um, one person who's probably going to be even less busy than Gareth Southgate tonight is the England goalkeeper. No Jordan Pickford, mm. he's out with an injury. So we're expecting Burnley's Nick Pope to step in as number one. He's the most experienced uh, option alongside Dean Henderson and Sam Johnston. He's got the wild amount of four caps to his name. But <laughs> given the fact that Pickford's missing for these matches, you'd expect um, Pope to play. You'd expect him to start probably all three games. Mm -hmm. San Marino aside, we're expecting that to be a, a fairly straightforward night for England. But up against Albania, and particularly Poland, with, with Robert Lewandowski, who's in absolutely ridiculous form with Bayern Munich, Nick Pope is going to have himself a test or two over the next seven days. And I suppose the big question to look at here is, we, we talked about club form before, Jordan Pickford has been good for Everton this season without 
really pulling up any trees for for me in my opinion England have got their eye on winning the European Championships this summer which means that 1 to 11 they need to be performing they need to be top quality they need to be of the level that opposition strikers are going to think I'm not going to get past this keeper because he's that good does Jordan Pickford give you that level of confidence if you were an England fan or would you be looking elsewhere at a Nick Pope or, or potentially a Dean Henderson who's who's impressed from Man United he, he, he wouldn't give me the same confidence no he's um, he's got a bit of a mistake in him he has for me he has a touch of the Joe Hart's about him um, when Joe Hart was England and Man City keeper he was phenomenally confident um, but it wouldn't take much to kind of shake that confidence just one one mistake and he would sort of go to pieces and he always seemed to be teetering on the edge of, of having a bit of a kind of breakdown in between the sticks and I think whilst Pickford isn't quite as intense a guy as Joe Hart he definitely has like elements of that to his personality and I don't think he has the sort of the, the temperament and the, the kind of calm and composed nature that you need as an international keeper where you just know that even if he's only got you know one shot to save all game which for England he might do you need to know that he's going to be there now you could also say the same thing about Pope just in terms of the fact we don't really know what he's like as you said he's only had four England caps but I think I don't think Pickford is a massive loss to England I think there's there's three good goalkeepers there they're all pretty young two of them are very young and have only just had kind of one or two seasons at the top um, but I yeah why why not try them and why not give Pope a bit of a run in the team um, because if he if he doesn't put a foot wrong if they don't concede a single goal and he makes some good saves in these next three games um, then th- where's the argument to start Pickford surely it's got to be Pope come the tournament yeah I mean Pickford's only a trump card in Southgate's eyes and that's going to be the decision, JP, that it comes down to his experience. He's got 30 caps um, compared to the others who who don't. Callum, just to, to flick back to you for a second, obviously the way that England play, there's a lot of possession-based football and, and that's been the kind of placeholder that's kept Pickford in the team and potentially mm. kept Pope and, and others out. Um, do you think that'll be enough to let him hang on to it? Just going back to what you were saying before, do you think that'll be enough to keep him in the team? Possibly. And it might be the case, you know, if you're Gareth Southgate, you're probably thinking that, well, injuries and form always play a role. But this year, especially, they're going to play a role because injuries and form have kind of been all over the place, um, given the schedule, given how many games teams are playing. So he might he might be, be sort of waiting to see. If I was him, I'd be waiting to see, you know, who have I got fit on the week before the tournament? And if you've got Pickford and Pope, it's kind of a toss up, really, for me. Um, and the possession based game that they play arguably makes who the goalkeeper is slightly less important um, because you're not expecting to have to soak up much pressure. Um, but yeah, it's a tricky one. It's a big big international tournament and, and that's a decision. Goalkeepers, you know, they can't win. Um, they're sort of remembered and defined by their mistakes. So whoever he picks has got to have a, have a perfect tournament to basically just go under the radar. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> so, yeah, I've taught myself in that corner. <laughs> JP, when you look at the, situ- the situation with Pickford and, and whether or not he's, he's he is going to keep his place uh, for the European Championships, obviously his performances in the World Cup, he, he's got a lot of credit in the bank penalty save against Colombia and the fact that England got all the way to the last four with, with him between the sticks. But Club football and international football, for me, are, are quite different beasts. As as football has changed and Premier League football has developed, teams are happy for their goalkeeper to become involved in the in the build-up of play and keeping possession. Whereas international football is almost, from a goalkeeping point of view, kind of a, an 80s-style scene but not heard. You just want them to be there, solid, make the saves when they're called upon. And with Pickford, you do get the sense that that's not 
what he's best at. He likes to be involved. He likes to be vocal. He likes to get his foot on the ball. And the strange thing for me is, you know, Callum's touched on it. I've touched on it. The other guys in the podcast have touched on it. And when you speak to Everton fans, they kind of challenge you on this and say, yeah, but why? It's very difficult to put your finger on exactly what it is about Jordan Pickford. But something for me just doesn't sit right with him at the very highest level for me the the key issue here um, is that I want my goalkeeper to be able to make saves that's first and foremost I know I totally get the argument about the possession game and how they play and all the rest of it Uh, and when you look at you know if you think about England's uh, World Cup qualifying group here they should be able to play that without a goalie let's face it Um, but that's a very different prospect from what they face in the summer and um, so for me, Pickford, the, the, the doubts over him at the very, very top level is the, the basic fundamentals of the position um, are, uh, he, I think Callum used the phrase earlier, you just get a sense from him that he always has a mistake in him. Um, he can make spectacular saves at times he goes out his way to try and make saves look more spectacular than they actually need to be um, I think that the, that the more knowledgeable football supporter can sense that and sees there's a little bit of show and like, listen I'm all for showmanship and, 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 uh, and giving something a bit spectacular entertainment value um, but you can also tell when a goalie is trying to make things look more spectacular or more difficult to accentuate their own abilities than uh, than they need to be. I'm always I'm a big fan of anybody in any walk of life, be that sport, music, whatever business work, who makes difficult things look really simple. And I think Jordan Pickford makes everything he does look really difficult. <laughs> and I think that's the thing that uh, that leaves a little nagging doubt in the back of people's minds. The guy's got ability. There's no two ways about it. You're right. He does have a track record with that World Cup, and he's he, he's got some credit in the bank, if you like, with with England supporters and Gareth Southgate because of that. But he's just a guy who I think makes uh, everything look more complex and difficult than it needs to be. And for me, the the people at the very very top do the very opposite of that. Yeah, I think whichever way it goes for Southgate and for Pickford in the next few months and, and looking ahead to the Euros, it's it's a difficult call for him to make. But to be honest, the, the games that are ahead, particularly San Marino tonight, is not really a testing ground. I think if you look at this from a normal perspective and, and work, if, if someone said to you, oh, will you cover the San Marino shift for me? You'd be like, yeah, listen, you owe me one. And this, just this once, Jordan. Right? Just this once I'll cover for you, OK? Don't mention it, OK? Don't mention it, honestly. Uh, make sure you're looking out the sports social <laughs> podcast to, to get you through the shift you know what I mean <laughs> oh exactly 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 right um, there's another big game tonight involving a home nation Scotland against Austria and with the two guys on the kids are in control of the sweet shop so um, <laughs> Scotland have got themselves into Euro 2020 and just like England they'll be using these games as a testing ground for their squad Austria tonight and then Israel and the Faroe Islands to come in the next seven days a more difficult set of games than England have got. JP, we'll go to you first on this. Steve Clark is in a similar situation to Southgate. He's got decisions to make over players and over his starting lineup for that for that big kickoff for Euro 2020 this summer. What are the what are the big stories within the Scotland squad? Obviously, we you know we're looking forward to having the Tartan Army back at a major tournament. But mm. people will be looking at this and thinking, I know some of these names from Premier League matches, and I can you know pick a pick a handful of Scotland players. And obviously, Andy Robertson, with being so successful with Liverpool in the last two seasons, is is the big standout name. But who are the names to look out for in this Scotland squad? 
I think you you know the, the obvious ones are, are the guys that you mentioned there. You know, you're Andy Robertson, Kieran Tierney, fans of the Premier League are very familiar with, with Scott McTominay. Um, you know, uh, Stuart Armstrong in there as well. Um, we've got John Fleck. I shudder to say this, but I don't see how <laughs> anybody. Uh, and they're right, you know anybody can expect any football team anywhere with the the, 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 the you know dumb and the two Ollies dumb and dumber McBuck uh, uh, sorry McBurney and Buck and any professional football squad just defies belief for me. Um, they two when they get into my Subutio team, but uh, <laughs> um, genuinely, man, I say this without any any, any fear of uh, of contradiction. Two of the, the the worst professional uh, top level professional footballers I've ever seen in my life, and. Uh, Somehow they keep managing to to appear in a Scotland jersey, um, despite all of it. Birdie saying some time ago that he just found it a relentless pain in the ass. So um, as far as I'm concerned, why was he ever invited back? But moving on, um, we've got uh, and then we see the exciting part that you know Che Adams. This is this is good to see. Um, I think it's quite interesting that he was approached maybe I think uh, four or five years ago about uh, coming to Scotland and he says no he would he'd like to concentrate on his uh, on his club football for the time being in other words no do one I want to play for England <laughs> um, but uh, but he's now had a change of heart because he's realised he's not got a well getting, getting near the England squad I'll but, go on then <laughs> you twisted my arm come on <laughs> absolutely man and, uh, he's, and, and I mean it's the, the old joke about having a Scottish granny he literally does have a Scottish granny <laughs> and uh, and there as well so there's loads of exciting stuff there um, you know, they're obviously there are well established players in Scotland that, uh, that maybe fans of the Premier League aren't uh, as familiar with but uh, the, 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 I've always, I was always excited at the prospect of uh, and I don't tell him that I said this the Celtic and Rangers midfield can I get together um, when Callum McGregor was in peak form as was Ryan Christie and you saw someone like Ryan Jack fitting in there beside him I always thought that that was a really exciting combination um, so there's quite, there's quite a lot there one thing I would say without going on too long about this um, is that uh, as you look through the Scotland squad it's a tough game tonight by the way against Austria it's a good good team with some really good players um, we've got Israel uh, to follow and then the Pharaohs who should take care of itself but Austria and Israel are two, two tough matches for us but for me, the the, the the problem persists with the Scotland squad um, and that it is pretty much what I see as a group of supporting cast. We still miss that headline act. Um, that everybody, you know, that, that, that talisman, the person that's going to get the goals when, uh, you know, the very fact that we're prepared to try and lump uh, that tag onto people at Lyndon Dykes so shows so, so how desperate we've got uh, at, at this stage when, when he becomes the kind of headline act up front. But that's the big problem for me. It, it, it's a lot of supporting cast. You know, we talk about Shadows at Southampton and how well he does, and, and, but he is, he is in that supporting role as are most of the players in that Scotland team. So that for me is a worry. But um, we, you know, Andy Roberts and Kieran Tierney, uh, the two absolute standouts in that squad. Uh, and as luck would have it, being Scottish, they both play the same position. So <laughs> um, I think that pretty much sums it up for us. But a lot to be positive about. Scotland are, are, are in a major tournament in the summer. Um, we're starting a new campaign here, so we need to go at it and uh, and be really positive um, from the first. So ignore everything I just said and we'll win 3-0 tonight. Uh, that's the spirit. And, and in terms of the, the Scottish granny or, or the granny rule, speaking as an Ireland fan, you should never be ashamed of that. You know, Patrick Bamford, if you're listening, you know, <laughs> we haven't, you know, we're, we're struggling for a goal scorer. Callum, we talk about Tierney and Robertson and, and obviously the, the defensive strength that they add and 
and the fact that you kind of having to shoehorn them in but based on how good they are as individuals they, they, they should fit into the same team so ultimately it's going to come down to the other end of the pitch and, and goals and looking at mm. the squad here there's four goals between the, the designated five strikers two for Fr- Ryan Fraser and, and two for JP's friend Lyndon Dykes Ryan Christie essentially carried the can in 2020 he got four um, in eight games which is not a bad return for, for a midfielder so ultimately the, the spotlight is going to be shone on Che Adams and Che Adams' granny if she's listening um, he has looked good for Southampton this season and one of the most interesting things for me is he's actually scored more goals without Danny Ings we talk about Southampton and we always talk about Danny Ings where would Southampton be if they didn't have Danny Ings where would Southampton be if Danny Ings was fit 38 games a season but Che Adams has, has proven not as good as Danny Ings but he's proven that he can come in that he's not just a placeholder he can score goals to, to get points for Southampton and Joking aside of whether he wanted or didn't want to play for Scotland initially, he's in the squad. He's probably going to make his debut against Austria tonight. Mm -hmm. If he performs well in these games, he's more than likely to be included in the squad this summer. Is he someone that, not to the level of of Scottish players of the past, but is he someone that can give you a bit of an edge, particularly in the summer when you are going to need someone to put the ball in the back of the net? I really hope so, um, because that striker position has been a problem for Scotland pretty much as long as I can remember. And at the moment, I'm just I'm just looking at the forwards we've got: Che Adams, Lyndon Dykes, who actually played. I think remarkably well in the games that took us to the tournament but was also arguably playing above his level because um, he was playing for Livingston at the time I think for some of those games excellent player works really hard but just you know is still probably well he's playing in the second tier in England still Ryan Fraser's coming to the end of his career Kevin Nisbet at Hibs um, has scored loads and loads of goals again at like Scottish Championship Scottish Premiership level but again hasn't made that big step up so as much as I like him as a player as much as he's a hard worker as much as he's very good at that level then you know he's not he's not an international player just yet he's not proved that yet um, and then and then we come to you know the people with Scottish grannies the Ollie McBurnies and Che Adams of this world and I think you know, I I tried to give Ollie McBurney a bit more of a fair crack of the whip, um, but he has been mm. phenomenally frustrating to watch in a Scotland in a Scotland jersey. So I think you know anything that, that kind of gives him a bit of competition, um, and I, I really hope it works out for Che Adams. It's a it's a difficult thing to do to come into a squad that has been pretty much unchanged now for a year. Um, but I would also be lying if I said that we had like a really specific philosophy of how we play. Um, I think he actually will fit in pretty nicely as as yeah, just just give it to Che. Um, so I'm. I'm hopeful I'm glad to see that he's in there and yeah I just um, honestly just hope he can actually score some goals because as you've pointed out we badly need them I can't wait for the summer uh, Clark Ball Che Adams is granny bring it on <laughs> bring it on Scotland to win the Euros um, looking back at last night's action a couple of other home nations uh, kicked off their own World Cup qualifying campaigns JP Wales 3-1 defeat away at Belgium took the lead to Harry Wilson brilliant goal from him set up by Gareth Bale who's been banging the middle of the news this week when he's essentially admitted that he's been using Tottenham as a gym uh, for the last <laughs> six to eight months to get himself fit uh, so that he can see Che Adams' granny this summer um, <laughs> up against the, the best team in the world according to FIFA rankings for, for Belgium this was never going to be an easy task for Wales but just looking at them ahead of the European Championships this summer when we look back to 2016 and we talk about Wales fantastic tournament for them Bale leading them Aaron Ramsey who was excellent in the tournament they had a lot of experience and a lot of players that were, were hitting the sweet spot of their career at the, at the perfect moment the likes of Ashley Williams Joe Allen Joe Ledley Hal robson Carnu, a couple of others who, who could be relied upon to have the experience to get through certain games you look at them now and it's a very very young team 
Nico Williams, Ethan and Padu, uh, Harry Wilson. Obviously, got himself on the score sheet. Dan James is not young, but he's just got that perpetual little boy's face. Um, it looks like it's going to be a bit of an uphill task for them, not just in the Euros this summer, but potentially getting into the uh, getting into the twenty twenty two World Cup. I think so. As you mentioned there, it's just scanning the Wales team last night. The first thing that strikes you is how unfamiliar a lot of the names are. Um, and that uh, is always a, a concern when it's, it, it's generally the way of it, isn't it? You know, you, you hit that peak um, as Wales did, and then there's always a slight decline from that point because you know, some of those players then have. Uh, as you say, have peaked and, and they start to move out of international football, um, and then you need to bring through this uh, th- th- this next uh, wave of players. The problem is you've set public expectation so high now uh, that these young guys need to come in and, and, and hit the same level as those experienced pros who had hit the peak of their career. Um, there's absolutely no disgrace in losing three one to Belgium in Belgium. Um, a phenomenal team. I mean, you, you look down that lineup as well, and, and you salivate at, at, at some of the options they have, even on the bench. Um, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, are they the best in the world? Don't know. You could argue about that all day long, but it's certainly a, a period of transition for Wales. Um, I would be encouraged the fact that that, that Bale still seems so committed to to, to them, and uh, and working with those young players because that will be. A massive, massive bonus for them, and uh, and they'll learn so much from him, and and he really does seem to take his, his time with Wales seriously, <laughs> more seriously than he does with Tottenham for sure, and um, that means that they have hope. But I, it's an early, early judgment, but I just think it might be a wee stretch too far for them at the moment, um, to expect this team to hit the heights that they did uh, in, in recent times. Yeah, they need a Welsh granny to come out from somewhere. They Callum, do. Callum, looking at Belgium, obviously <laughs> FIFA think that they're the best in the world. Some people would tell you that they are the best in the world. And as, as JP said, you look at the lineup and you you find it hard to make an argument against, but the pressure is going to be huge on Roberto Martinez this season. They've kicked off the World Cup qualifying campaign with with a win over Wales, which will, will boost confidence and, and get them kind of into the groove for the Euros. But I suppose the question I want to ask is, given their position given the fact that this is their golden quote golden mm-hmm. generation what would be an acceptable return for Martinez and his players this summer it's, at this stage you know picking a winner is is like um, just hokum it's magic you know you can't really do it but <laughs> what what will keep the vultures away from circling over his head because he does perpetually seem to be under pressure he also looks like he's always under pressure um, but given the players they've got given the pressure that's going to be on them what will be the best return for them this summer? I think you've got to say semi-finals or, or even further, really. Um, you said used the phrase golden generation, which is exactly what I had in my head. It's, this has got shades of England 2006, doesn't it, really? Um, the, the talent they have, I mean, they were, they were clinical last night and it looked pretty easy for them. Um, and I think if they get, you know, De Bruyne, Lukaku and one of the hazards that they've got firing, then they'll be absolutely fine. Um, my personal shout for the Euros would probably be Portugal, just because they've got their kind of next generation of talent seems to be absolutely hitting peak this season so but then then you look at the, the group they're in and I think I think they've got France and Germany so um, yeah it's like you say it's almost impossible to pick a winner I think from Belgium's point of view you know it's it's always strange that in this country we are we know exactly what their press are doing and how much pressure is on those players and we, and we can see it and we recognise it and that um, you just hope for their from their point of view that that doesn't trip them up as it has done um, to the England team in the past 
Uh, you say that about Portugal, but they kicked off their qualifying campaign. 1-0 winners over Azerbaijan. 14 shots on target. Champions tar- elect. Champions elect. <laughs> 14, 14 shots on target, but they needed uh, an own goal from the well-known Maxim Medvedev uh, of Azerbaijani fame to get themselves through. So, you know, maybe... He's got maybe, a Portuguese granny. Maybe not as maybe not as hot to trot as you think. Um, the other game in Group A last night, JP, Ireland losing 3-2 away in Serbia. Um, we're just going to quickly touch on this because I don't want to end the first part in tears uh, a result that made my girlfriend come downstairs and say you're not going to be in a mood again are you <laughs> to which I replied well of course we've just lost um, eight games no win for Stephen Kenny but huge amounts of positivity he changed a lot of players and a lot of players who've been kind of just hanging on to their place in the Ireland team based on their name would, would drop Robbie Brady Jeff Hendrick Shane Duffy James McLean were all, were all moved out mixture of injury and form and Stephen Kenny is backing himself and saying you brought me in to, to change things in Irish football and to play young players and play a bit more of an exciting brand of football and if the results fall by the wayside then so be it um, but he needs to start getting some points on the board yeah, it's, it's the, the constant contradiction, isn't it? That uh, we bring someone in, we want fresh ideas, we want to move forward, we need to, we need to, you know, wipe the slate clean. But not those uh, fresh ideas, and not with that no. cloth. <laughs> exactly. And, and, Why and can, we can you hurry up about it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we need to start this rebuilding process uh, six months ago. Um, yeah. So now uh, we're going to give it to you today, and you've got six days to turn it around. It's it, it's just the, the, the crazy nature of it, isn't it? Um, but uh, I think that there is. I get a bit frustrated while myself, you know. I've, I've always uh, there's always that I've got that romantic link to the place, and I always want to see them do better than they actually do. But uh, I have to say, in, in recent times, any time I've, I've tuned in and watched, uh, it's been a tough watch. Um, it's it's not been easy, and that's coming from a guy who watches Scotland, by the way. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> are you, hold on, just just to check, are you putting yourself forward here? Do you have an Irish granny? Is that are we having a Che Adams situation? Everyone in oh, Glasgow I, has an Irish granny. I'm a Celtic supporter, mate. <laughs> <laughs> right, there you go, Stephen Kenny. If you're listening uh, and you're looking to solve the goal scoring problem, we've got a man on the line here who is ready to go. Luxembourg on Saturday. Get your boots packed. Get your Ryanair flight booked, and we'll see you in Dublin. Right, we're going to call it there. Uh, brilliant first half to the show. Uh, we're going to go back to slightly more day job uh, matters after the break the Premier League FFP UEFA are on the verge of scrapping FFP which is an absolutely amazing announcement from Europe's governing body we're going to be talking about that the where's the why's the where falls and we're also going to be looking at the breaking news that's come to us in the last 24 hours that the EFL and the FA are planning to allow 8,000 fans to attend Tottenham versus Manchester City in the EFL Cup final next month we're going to get through all that in just a second Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily and with Premier League football taking a bit of a break uh, to make way for the international scene over the last seven days we're going to be getting right stuck into England all the home nations and how they're preparing on the road to Qatar but we're also going to be talking about some of the big issues swirling around football and European football as we take a break from domestic matters so FFP 
an acronym, three little letters that have haunted fans, particularly if you're a Manchester City fan, for the last six months. Manchester City uh, eventually got away with, depending on which way you slice it, JP, um, being hauled before the UEFA courts over their alleged breaches of FFP. Their case went to Cass. It was eventually overturned and Manchester City were, were freed from the shackles of FFP. And UEFA have now taken the, the very strange decision, according to reports in Italy and France in, in the last few days, that FFP from next season onwards will be scrapped. Now, there's a lot of legal wrangling and a lot of complex text surrounding this. So I'm just going to break it down for you in terms of the key sentences that have popped out of the page to me. According to this report from Gazzetto Dello Italia, which is carrying this story clubs will no longer be required to spend within their means clubs will be required to provide adequate proof that they can cover any additional costs within a period of 36 months to me that sounds like a very dangerous precedent that sounds like a bit of a loan shark situation no Yes, um, I uh, th- there was a wee analogy popped into my head uh, when I heard this, and it was um, a little bit, you know, th- these football clubs and, and, and the way they conduct themselves, and especially the ones owned by the uber rich, it's a bit like, uh, you know, you're going on holiday for a week, right? Uh, Easter's coming up, you're allowed to leave the house, um, so uh, you tell the dog that what you're going to do is you're going to open up a week's worth of food for it and leave it in the kitchen and then trust the dog to make that uh, see itself through the rest of the week. Uh, whereas you know fine well the minute you're at the door, every single bit, that's going to be gorged and the dog will tell itself it will sort the rest of it out tomorrow. Um, and then you come back uh, a week later to find your dog <laughs> dead in the kitchen floor. So that's uh, that to me <laughs> rings kind of true in the way that they're approaching this. It's uh, FFP... FFS man what is the point you know what I mean um, so here we have yet again the the uh, the governing bodies of some sort of authority be that government be that football governing bodies making way for the rich to do as they please and I think this has disaster written all over it I've got no doubt the big man city fan on the on the other line will, uh, will have a different viewpoint on this than I do but uh, when are we going to learn, man? When are we going to look at, at, at how parts of the game are being destroyed? They're trying to make it a closed shop in every way they possibly can. This is a sport. There's supposed to be a sporting chance for all involved in it. Yes, it's big business. Yes, it's multi-billion pound, all the rest of it. I know that. But come on, man. We're supposed to be levelling the playing field a wee bit, not making it harder for others. Um just to obviously confirm again, Man City, you know, we don't want anyone slating anyone's Scottish grannies. Manchester City were acquitted by Cass of, of any wrongdoing uh, within FFP. Um, so was Donald Trump. Depending, depending on which way you look at it, there is obviously issues there. But Callum, obviously, yeah, as, a, as a Man City fan, you're, you're well versed in FFP. You've been obviously mm. swatting up on it and, and dealing with it for the, for the last couple of years. But... This idea of clubs now having much more scope to to spend outside of their means, as it stands at the moment, it's this €5 million or or €3.9 million cap per assessment period. But that assessment period can be moved, it can be changed, clubs can ask for for a suspension and a delay. There's so many mechanisms within the pre-existing structure that clubs can bend, with, with all due respect to City and others, 
every club knows that realistically they can bend it and twist it to their will. Um, when we talk about integrity within UEFA or within FIFA, Set Blatt has just been handed an additional seven-year ban from any involvement in football. He can't even go to Sunday league games. Um, Michel Platini has had his reputation destroyed by by his own misdeeds uh, when he was previously president of UEFA. And we remember him standing in front of everyone and talking about financial doping and ethics within football. And then he turned out to be a, a bit of a crook. So... Given the fact that the system is already broken, this kind of seems to me that they've taken a broken system and set fire to it. I think I think there are there are a couple of things going on here. Which um, the t- the timing of this announcement, I think, in the context of what's happening with things like the European Super League, the clubs, the big powerful clubs in Europe have kind of got together and told UEFA that, that they want things one way, and if, and if they don't get it, then they're going to walk away and get a new TV deal with someone else. Um, and so that. I think when you when you read this story, you've got to be aware that all that battle is happening at the moment behind the scenes and has been for the last year. Um, and then the second thing that's going on is, is as you mentioned, the cast thing. I'm not going to get into like the rights and wrongs of that. I'm aware that Man City's case was kind of we were kind of thrown out on a. It was a technicality. It was a, UEFA had screwed up um, their submission of evidence and it, they had submitted evidence that was time barred essentially. So it's not that it's not that we were not guilty of anything. It's that they didn't bring the case in the right way. However, I think that was a real bloody nose for UEFA and I think it also threw open a lot of um, doubts about FFP and it, it basically showed that if you've got if you've got like you know a third of the world's oil wealth you can probably buy enough lawyers to, to get around anything that they come <laughs> they come up with I think FFP I, I, I don't I don't think it's kind of like Right, rightly or wrongly, I think it was brought in as a very kind of blunt instrument, and they thought, oh, if we just if we just say how much people can spend, and we just bring in all these caps and all these you know different different kind of tools, that'll just that'll just improve the governance of football clubs, right? And I actually think the governance of football clubs it, it goes way deeper than that. It's all about who the owners are, what their motivations are, the the temptation to just kind of you know chase success and and spend big. And I think it was a classic a classic UEFA slash FIFA move to sort of bring in. Some Something that looks like it's solving the problem um, doesn't solve the problem. It's completely open to interpretation and abuse, and people just bending the rules, and then kind of throwing it out, you know, quietly when it when it actually doesn't suit your purposes anymore. There's a lot of stories this month alone of Andrea Agnelli, the chairman of Juventus, who's kind of UEFA's biggest sort of critic. He's the one that's really pushing for this European Super League. He wants to reform the Champions League. There seems to be a bit of a a wave of of power going back towards Europe's biggest club. And this just looks like another example of that, where, where they're now, you know, they've got rid of a rule that they really hated and that was basically unenforceable. JP, the entire situation, when you look at it, FFP in its current state and, and what could potentially be brought in as, as a new set of rules, I don't know whether it's going to be FFFP or, or, or whatever acronym they're going to attach to it. Um, but uh, alongside all of this, one of the most concerning statements that's potentially going to be part of the new framework is this idea of owners and rescue packages. The the last straw of integrity that FFP had, and this is what they tried to use against Manchester City in the case was, it doesn't matter if your owner can say, look, we made a loss this year or we, we, you know, we didn't generate the revenue that we anticipated. I can just bang. I can just pay it off. Write a check. Done. You know, we'll, we promise to behave, etc., etc." That, in theory, was the one checks and balances that was in place to stop owners riding roughshod and essentially just writing off debts. Or in the example of other clubs that, that don't have the financial power of Manchester City, not writing it off, racking up the debt and then saying, whoa, I don't have the money, 
I'm going to have to declare bankruptcy and, you know, what will be will be. If that last little gate, which is kind of hanging on by a thread, is booted open, then we're on a really dangerous road here. We are. And, and, and you take us in a wider context. The, the, the precedent has been set by governments um, and by the massive financial institutions that, that, that run the world. Um, because every single time they don't get their own way, they just break the rules and then they're, they're, they're let away with it, they're let off with it. So that this happens in states, it happens in governments, it happens in massive multinational conglomerates. This is the way of it. These white-collar financial doping crooks feed one another <laughs> on a daily basis. And why does anybody think that football, with the massive revenues and wealth it can generate, would be any different? The same crooks have got their grubby little hands in the pot for across the globe and it's been proven time after time after time that even the most powerful and influential governments on the planet don't take these financial criminals to task. So they've kicked the doors open and they'll run roughshod right across football the way they do everything else and we can uh, stamp our feet and moan about it and comp- Makes no difference. The only thing that would ever stop this is if people stop buying the television subscriptions, uh, the shirts, and all the rest of it, and that's never going to happen. Especially when we're all locked in our house and not allowed outside the front door. <laughs> it's the only thing that has gone sometimes. But uh, I, so it's uh, I must I, I, a really bad taste in my mouth, and I'm pretty disgusted with the whole thing. Um, and and uh, if you get too deep into it, you could actually justify turning your back in football entirely. Yeah, I just have this image of JP as a kind of Glaswegian Steve Carell in the big short where <laughs> he sees every issue uh, with the system and he wants to fix it, but he also knows uh, every every loophole that he can get around. I think... As someone who uh, worked for JP for years, that is exactly what he's like. <laughs> well, there you go. If there's, if there's a remake of the big short and it's set in Glasgow, I'm putting you forward. Uh, as, they say, mate, as, 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 as they say, as they say, you can't kid a kidder. Yeah, yeah. I think Steve Carell said that in the film as well. Right. When you, when you, I think from a fan perspective which you touched on there JP which is ultimately going to undermine so much of this is that the average fan will look at this and say I have my TV subscription or I have my season ticket or or I go to watch my team however many times a season I'm not giving up on that or it's not my fault or it's not my responsibility um, to kind of negate these issues that are surrounding clubs and and prevent these people from buying clubs and investing clubs and and in some examples running running clubs into the ground so it's a dangerous road that we're on and I think by levying responsibility onto fans that's only going to strengthen the card of owners because they will reach out to the fans and say listen don't worry you know I'll handle all the paperwork don't you worry about it uh, just Absolutely. as you just just as you did in your in your role in in the big short <laughs> exactly all, all you need to do what we're big football fans ourselves we're human beings it, it, it is intrinsically built into human psychology that uh, that we start to look after our own and all any you know any fans you know that start to you know this needs to be a, a groundswell movement where people push back on this and fans actually start to to, to, to vote with a wallet um, but that's still going to happen because all they have to do is wait look at the shiny shiny wave a new big signing in front of you that has to be paid by the financial irregularities they all go round and everybody quickly forgets about it and like any other issue on a global scale which this genuinely is be that recycling or uh, you know global warming um, or you know um, financial irregularities across countries and, and, and social injustice and all that 
the, the average person in the street looks at it and goes, what difference can I make? I might as well just get on with it. I've just, I've just finished reading um, a book or listening to the audiobook. Um, it's called The Age of Football by David Goldblatt. And essentially what he does, it's a very long book, but he goes country by country, um, every country that is, is FIFA affiliated. And he shows how in every single country in the last 20 years, there's, there are multiple examples of how um, football clubs, governments, uh, governing bodies and corruption has all gone hand in hand. It's, it's so endemic. We, we talk about it at the top of the game. It happens everywhere. It's like sport is the way that powerful people try and connect with the masses. And it's, it's always been that. It's been that, that's kind of the whole point of it. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a problem that we can solve, but that is a very good book, The Age of Football by David Goldblatt. And anyone who is interested in reading about this at considerable length should go and buy that. <laughs> Give it a go. Um, from a bad news story to a potentially good news story to, to wrap up today's show, TalkSport have ran a story in the last 24 hours that the government, the FA, the EFL are considering allowing 8,000 fans in uh, for the Tottenham Manchester City EFL Cup final on April 25th. JP, we've all been restricted massively in terms of how much football we can absorb this season, last season. It's all been kind of on hiatus. You, you can have a little bit, no, but not too much. We are starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel, particularly in terms of England and, and in terms of restrictions and, and fans being allowed to return to games. Provisionally, as it stands, um, the last weekend of the season, potentially the last two weekends of the Premier League season, a limited amount of fans will be allowed back in. That will be the first time since the end of 2020 when areas in England who were in certain levels of restrictions, Liverpool, London and the South Coast were allowed two, 3,000 fans in. Now, I'm not an expert on pandemics or, or, or viral transmission, so you know we're, we're going to avoid all of that. But the thing that this screams out to me, I understand there needs to be tests done to see how stadiums and the infrastructure can cope with, with fans returning on, on any sort of level. But if we're in a position around about Christmas time to only allow two, 3,000 fans in, is it not a bit of a risk to be allowing 8,000 fans in to a stadium in central London? Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm desperate for, <laughs> desperate for us all to be able to get back to football um, and get back to our normal ways of life. There's nothing I would love more than going to have a pint with my mates. Um, you two in particular, first jar, we'll, we'll do that. But uh, <laughs> let, let's uh, as me, I, I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable about the whole thing. I'm desperate for us all to be able to get back uh, and, and do what we do. Nothing more so than me for music, be able to play gigs and go to gigs and all that as well, as much as football. But um, I am nervous about this. Uh, I, I, I would I would hate, I would absolutely hate us to push ourselves further back by rushing it through a little too quickly. And we you know, we hear reports again of this, uh, this third wave coming in from, from Europe and all the rest of it as well. And I know... There's there's lots of uh, there's lots of kind of back and forth about that, but I'm nervous about it. But I do get the fact that there's going to come a point where we have to step up and say, right, okay, uh, we're going to have to do some tests. We're going to need, you know kind of kind of walk the walk here. I think I heard recently there was a was it was it in the Netherlands and in, in, in Holland that they, uh, they 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 were running a, a music festival recently, um, and uh, that's what it was it was basically a test, and everybody signed up saying, yeah, we're fully aware we could catch COVID at this, but we, we, we're, we're prepared to do so and um, to see how this goes. Um, so I I, I I don't know, man. I, I'm I'm really I, I'm on the fence about this. I know that we need to start moving forward, but it feels a little bit 
politically pressured for me. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you look at the situation, Callum, the Premier League and Premier League fans kind of accepted this idea that the last game of the season, there'll be limited fans allowed in. Um, when it was, was published, I think, at the, the start of March, everyone kind of went, OK, fine. You know, we, mm-hmm. we get that, that last game of the season. We understand the restrictions, etc. But... For me, this seems as if it's being used as a wider test for Euro 2020. Obviously, Wembley is a, is a host stadium along with Hampden Park for, for the European Championships this summer. I think this is actually being used more in direction to that because if 8,000 fans can attend the EFL Cup final at Wembley, that mm-hmm. strengthens the FA's case to then say Wembley is perfectly safe. We know that there's been comments and hints made that England are going to push to host more games. I don't think they're going to get the whole tournament, but they might push to to lean on UEFA to say, well, give us games um, from stadiums where they can't host fans in countries where lockdown is different. I think this is actually more geared towards England and more geared towards the European Championships than domestic fans coming back to grounds. Definitely, definitely. Is. Um, as JP said there, this is there's a lot of political pressure on this tournament now. It's it's already kind of set the UK government against the Scottish government in terms of you know um, the way the Scottish government have handled the pandemic. Does that mean that Scotland are not getting their home advantage at Hamden anymore? That's that's been a big story, um, and I think it's it's yeah. There's a there's a real um, desire to get fans in stadiums, probably for exactly that reason. I don't I don't I don't really think it's about the league, and I don't actually think that um, Premier League fans. Are that bothered about eight thousand attending at the end of the season? Personally, I wouldn't want to go back to a game unless it was, you know, going to be a full house, um, because I, I don't think there's anything worse than sitting, you know, ten seats away from the next person. It kind of it, that to- for me that would totally destroy what going to football was all about. Um, I think you're right. It's, it's there's all this political pressure on it, but you know, I can kind of see how if you've got eight thousand people in Wembley Stadium, everybody's got ten seats, eleven seats each. Um, and that, you know, if, if they can prove, they say they're driven by the data, if they can prove that that then doesn't result in, in heaps of cases, then, yeah, why not do it? Why not slowly bring up that number and, and see see what is possible? Because it has been a year of this and, and you know, I can't see them just suddenly next season throwing up, open the doors and saying, right, we can have 50,000 in stadiums anymore. So I guess you have to build up to it. Um, it's a bit frustrating. It's a bit, you know, uncertain um, and nerve wracking. But I think I think this is probably the only way to go about it is just to build up slowly a couple of thousand at a time. Well, it's going to be a story that will roll on. We're expecting a decision next week on whether or not the fans will be allowed to attend the final. So if you're a Tottenham fan, if you're a Manchester City fan, keep your eyes open. Gents, we're going to call it there for today's podcast. JP, Callum, thanks so much for coming on. Thank An you. absolute joy great stuff uh, if you're a new listener to the podcast or if you're a regular listener to the podcast don't forget if you click subscribe on this episode you get a brand new podcast every single day Football Social Daily is here every day giving you the latest news Premier League previews updates reviews transfer gossip nonsense Scottish grannies Steve Carell whatever you're interested in we are right here give subscribe a click and we'll see you very very soon Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.